Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. The preceding section of Isaiah, which we've been in and are coming out of, chapters 40 through 48, were about a type of courtroom scene, if you will, between the Lord and the false idols that we've been talking about between uh, that and also the person that the Lord was going to raise up, Cyrus, who would deliver Israel from captivity and the fall of Babylon or some of the things that we've been talking about. And in that section, chapters 40 through 48, Zion is, is mentioned only really just a few times in passing, but from now on, it will become a very important part of Isaiah's message. After chapter 48, there are no further references to Cyrus, the Persian king. Instead, chapters 49 through 57 focus on the greater deliverer. And of course, we know who that is, right? The Messiah, servant of the Lord, the, the promised one, who would bring salvation to the entire world. In other words, the main characters of chapters 40 through 48 will now move into the background of history stage and to the front. You know what I really like about that? I really like that this, is, this in fact, is exactly what needs to happen, what should happen in our very own lives. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything we once considered important, the things that were the main things are to move back, take back seat to Jesus Christ, allowing him to move in and become our new forever main thing, our supreme king. Amen? Our main focus this evening in this chapter will be really verses 13 through 16, but I would first like for us to consider a few verses leading up to them. So let's look at verse 1 real quick. Chapter 49, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. Now, we would usually say something like, at this point, this verse is talking about, and then we would, you know, mention who it is about or what it was about. <laughs> However, in this case, the, the one that the verse is talking about is actually the one who's doing the talking. In other words, God, through Isaiah, is, is talking in the first person. That's, what, that's who's speaking in verse 1. Just so you're clear, it's not Isaiah or anybody like that. It is the Lord himself speaking in the first person, okay? And, and I like that. And so we, we need to understand that. And through him, God speaking through Isaiah, through him, he pledges once again a reminder of his full and all of the promises he has ever made. He's on them. None have been forgotten. He will see to it that everything comes to pass and fulfilled. Now look at verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. As we know, Jesus didn't come to be served, right? What does it tell us in the New Testament? He came 
to serve. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Matthew 20, 28, we find that he is the servant of the Lord, and he not only has and does and will continue to bring glory or splendor to the Father. Now look at verse 5. He says there, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gathers Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. And now go down to the second part of verse 6. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We are told what the servant's mission is here, what it will be to bring back the house of Israel and to be a light to the Gentiles. Didn't Jesus himself say in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world? Now look at the first part of verse 8. It says, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Paul would refer to this verse in his second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which says, Now is the acceptable time, that now is the day of salvation, purchased by Jesus' death on the cross. So Paul even reaches for this verse and uses it in that second Corinthian letter. Now look at the first part of verse 9. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. Drop down to the second part of verse 10. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Beginning more and more as we work our way in through this chapter to sound like Jesus, doesn't it? He is the one again speaking Again, Jesus said of himself in John chapter 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. The mission given to the servant of the Lord, the promised Messiah, is to set us free from the bondages we have put ourselves in due to our own sin. At this point, we are going to hit the pause button for a moment on Isaiah, and we're going to look in on that great sixth chapter of Romans, where Paul presents some really awesome, liberating truth for living in victory, which comes by way of living by grace above sin's bondage and slavery and domination. So in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, I think this is good that we spend some time here because we want to recognize what really was the reason that Christ came. He had you on his heart, you were on his mind, and he didn't go through all that he went through so that we can continue living lives that are broken and hurting and not understanding or experiencing the hope of victory and transformation, amen? He didn't come so that we would remain unchanged. Chapter 6, verse 3 of Romans, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6, 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Verse 11. In the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us need to know these verses by heart and probably say them and claim them every single day of our lives. Would you agree with that? Verses 12 and 13, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. <laughs> oh, what amazing, powerful scripture. In order for us to live free from the slavery and bondage of sin's control, free from the old master, with the power to walk a new kind of life, we have to know, Paul is telling us here, we have to know something, we have to consider something, and we have to offer something. In his book, The Grace Awakening, Chuck Swindoll writes this, When we believed in the Savior's death and resurrection, which was done for us, we were dipped <laughs> into the same scene. Our identity was changed. We didn't feel it. We didn't see it. We didn't hear it. But it occurred. It happened nevertheless. When we came to Christ, he continues on, we were placed into him as death became ours. His death became ours. As his victorious resurrection became ours. His awakening to new life became our awakening. His powerful walk became our powerful walk. So then, folks, based on what Paul tells us in Romans 6, before we can experience the benefits of all that, we have to know and believe all of that. The Christian life is not about, as I was saying a moment ago, stumbling along, scarcely experiencing victory and joy as believers. His power became ours. His very life became our life, guaranteeing that his victory over sin is ours to claim. Ours. Not to ignore or wish for. It is ours to claim, to live out. We no longer need to be as a slave to sin, this was the servant's mission. And I want you to hear this. Our response to this mission that he came to do needs to be one and one only. One of submission to his mission. 
laying down our lives and picking up his, living the kind of life that he died for us to live. Folks, this is such good news for the believer. Would you agree? Such good news. You are in Christ. He was crucified once and for all. He died for you so that you would never, ever need to die again. It's the, what we've said before, being born twice, dying once. Amen? Think about that one if you're not sure what that meant. <laughs> because we have our identification with him, we have all the power needed to live the rest of our lives above the bondage of sin and its slavery. All that we need. Death to sin is an accomplished act. Dear church, it is. <laughs> it is a finished fact. Amen? It has all been taken care of. Having died to sin's power, we are now free to serve our new master. How thankful are you for that? Our new master. A few weeks ago, we were, we were in Isaiah chapter 40, and we discussed the amazing truth about verse 29. It says, He gives strength to the weary and increases power for the weak. Good verse. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Life can often be challenging and filled with trials and troubles. Anybody found that out yet? <laughs> there are times when we may feel weary and worn down by our struggles, by our burdens. In such moments, it's easy to feel weak and powerless. However, even when we are feeling our weakest, when our own strength has failed us, God, in his loving grace and mercy, steps in. Aren't you glad for that? He doesn't just replenish our strength. The scripture tells us that he increases it, enabling us to rise above our challenges. God doesn't promise a life without hardship. We know that. But he does promise to provide us with the strength that we need to endure the hardships that come our way. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect, even and especially in our weaknesses. Now back to Isaiah chapter 49. Israel has been severely disciplined by the Lord for her sins and for her idolatry. This is what we've been talking about and this is what we've been covering. Her cities have been ransacked. Her sons and daughters have been carried off into captivity by her enemies. And in this chapter here in chapter 49, God promises to turn the captivity of his people. He promises that he will bring them back home. 
And just for our own sake here, as far as we are concerned, and I love this, Jesus is our home, amen? Jesus is our promised land. Verse 13 and 14. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. In other words, God is calling for all of nature to respond in celebration and in worship of what God is promising to do and which he will do. But then verse 14, but Zion said, kind of the opposite, <laughs> the Lord has forgotten me. He's forsaken me. What? What is that all about? There seems to be, well, in captivity for these people, no cause for rejoicing. Well, I, I get that, don't you? I mean, I, I don't know how excited I would have been. Oh, yeah, handcuff me, take me off to Babylon, I'm all yours, and say it with a smile. They, 70 years of captivity in that place was, would not have looked very promising or something to be very excited about. So there doesn't seem to be any cause for rejoicing in Zion. The people feel as though they have been forsaken, that they have been forgotten by the Lord. Now, Zion is, of course, another name for the city of Jerusalem. The city represented the entire nation of Israel, just so you know what's going on here in the, in the language. And as far as Israel was concerned, they had been abandoned. They are being ignored by their God. This is what is their, Isaiah is, is getting a vision of. He's seeing something that hasn't quite happened yet, but it will happen. This is what he's writing about and what, you know, Jesus is going to be talking about. As far as they're concerned, they've been abandoned. They're being ignored by their God. Their nation had been destroyed. Their capital city, Jerusalem, lay in ruins. Their precious temple had been completely demolished. They were well aware of a very important fact from history. What was that fact? Once a nation was conquered and its people were deported off to other places, those people never, ever returned. I don't know if you've ever thought of that in light of what we've been talking about with regards to the captivity of the people of Israel. Typically in history, when people were conquered and taken off, they never ever made it back. But God's making a promise to them. Basically, it's kind of like God saying, I don't care what history has done or says, here's what I say. Amen. So what are you going to believe? You're going to believe what history's been thinking? And town trying to get you to buy into? Are you going to believe the word of the Lord? The promises that he's made coming from the promise-making, promise-keeping God. How's it going to work for you? So they're well aware of that. And so after decades of captivity, the people are feeling forgotten. Even if they did pray, God 
seen far, far away and unconcerned with their suffering. It was as if the Lord did not know about their hardships, for their prayers seemed to go unanswered as far as they were concerned. God appeared totally out of reach. They were a broken, enslaved people, physically and spiritually. But this was the furthest thing from the truth. And God spoke up to share the reality of their situation. What he had to say is one of the strongest declarations, folks, of his love ever given to his people, and for that matter, ever given to the entire human race that has ever existed. We might not want to admit it, but there are times when we feel like that, right? Can we be honest about that? There are times when we feel abandoned, times when we feel like we are a little bit forgotten by the Lord, and we wonder why the circumstances in our lives are like they are. We wonder why it seems like life is just one and so messed up. Sometimes we feel like we've been forgotten. All of this brought to mind an old song, a really old song. In fact, I would bet that most of you, if not all of you, know this song, even as old as it is. And I'm not saying you're old. <laughs> it brought to mind a song, and, and I couldn't think of most of the words. Just really one word came to mind, and the, and the melody. So I went online, did some research, found out that it was 1951. So old, right? Not so old? I'm with you. <laughs> 51 was a good year. <laughs> a guy by the name of Irving Gordon wrote and published a song. It became pretty popular. The song was first recorded by a guy named Nat King Cole. The orchestra he used was the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. The song, Unforgettable. Listen to some of the words. And I share this because they so describe our God and his love for us. And what Isaiah 49 is saying to us. Unforgettable. That's what you are. Unforgettable, though near or far. Like a song of love that clings to me, how the thought of you does things to me. <laughs> Never before has someone been more unforgettable in every way and forevermore. That's how you'll stay. Wow. What a, what a great illustration and picture of Christ's love for us and proving for us as Isaiah 49 does there's no way it would be like another song it's impossible <laughs> for God to forget us or to forsake us never, never, never so God speaks to the people in these verses and he lets them know that he has not forsaken them. 
He has not forgotten about them. This passage reminds us that God's people are actually His unforgettable. They're unforgettable to Him. In these verses, God actually gives His people, therefore gives to us tonight some very good reasons for joy and for hope. He lets them know that he has not abandoned them, that he has not forgotten about them. In fact, God is going to use some really, really cool, vivid word pictures to give this assurance to his people. We find the first word picture in verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby that she nurses? So the first word picture is the the care of a mother. Through the loving care of our Savior, God is letting us know. God promises to comfort and care for us. And to have mercy on us through all of life's journeys and situations. Using the imagery of a mother nursing her child, Isaiah illustrates the love that God has for his people. All of you moms in here, can you relate? I think so. God's love for us far exceeds any, any form of a human's love. No matter how deep or how good or how solid. Could a mother forget to feed and nourish her baby? Could she abandon and have no love for the child? Well, let's be kind and gracious and say not likely. But even if she did, God is saying, I will never forget you. Never. And then we're given another word picture, a a great reason why we can know that he won't. In the first part of verse 16, it says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Wow. Wow. Do you think I've forgotten you? The Lord asks his people. Look at my hands. You are engraved upon them. We are engraved. And actually the language here is basically kind of saying carved, chiseled on the palms of his hands. This means that God's people are permanently in his view. In his hands, under his care, protection, and provision continually. Whenever we are tempted to think that God has forgotten us, all we need to do is go to the cross of Calvary. Amen? For there we are reminded that he engraved you and me on the palms of his hands when his hands were outstretched on that cross and they were punctured and pierced by those Roman nails as he paid the price for our sin. No, he could never, ever forget you. But this is not all. The next word picture we're given is in the rest of verse 16. It says, And your walls are ever before me. Here, God is being described for us as as a watchman. I like that. And I do not in any way mean to be disrespectful. Is the watchman kind of like the eternal 
security guard. <laughs> He's got us watching over us. He had not forsaken. He had not forgotten Zion. But her walls were ever on his mind. And always in his view. Like we are engraved on his palm, the palms of his hands. The walls of Zion are forever in view in his mind as well. He continually remembered his promises to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And like a watchman, God would be vigilant. He will be diligent to look after the needs and the welfare of his people. In other words, the nation of Israel and his promises to her are always on his mind. Always. Those protected inside Jerusalem's walls are ever before him. And here's some good news for us as New Covenant believers. The same is so true for us. God is always mindful of his promises to his people. Church, he is our refuge. Amen. He is our stronghold. He is our mighty fortress. We could go on and on and on. And it may appear that God has abandoned you from time to time. It may appear that God has forgotten some of the things that he has promised you. But keep in mind this, it only appears that way. It is not the truth. We've said for years, you've, we've all said and been reminded that you can't believe your feelings, right? Our feelings will lie to us. This is just merely how things appear. It is not how things are in actuality. The truth is God never fails and God never forgets. It is against his character. He cannot do this. He will keep every promise that he has ever made to his people, that he has made to you and to me. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because we are in Christ, we are within. Hear me now, church, the new covenant walls of God's holy city will become the glorious eternal walls of the new holy city, the new Jerusalem. Can hardly wait. How about you? In one of my devotionals this past week, I came across this article. Researchers at Emory University used MRI scans to study the brains of grandmothers. They measured empathetic responses to images that included their own grandchildren, their own adult child, and one anonymous child. The study showed that grandmothers have a higher empathy toward their own grandchild than their own adult child. <laughs> This is attributed to what they call the cute factor. <laughs> Their own grandchild being more adorable than the adult. 
Now, before we say, well, duh, <laughs> let's consider the words of James Rilling, who is the guy who conducted the study. He says, if their grandchild is smiling, the grandmother is feeling the child's joy. Literally, this is what's showing up on the brain. And if their grandchild is crying, they're feeling the child's pain and distress. One prophet paints an MRI image of God's feelings as he looks upon his people. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3. 17, one of those books you're always reading, right? <laughs> and so like an empathetic grandmother, God is aware of and feels and, and knows your pain. Isaiah 63 verse 9 tells us, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Wow. And he fills our joy. R R Psalms 149 verse 4 says, The Lord takes delight in his people. And so when you're feeling discouraged, it's good to remember that God truly loves and takes care of us, takes care of you. He's not a cold, faraway God, but one who loves and takes great delight in us. Make this personal for you. Don't, don't take this as a general thing. Yeah, I'm glad that that's, you know, and, and I, I'm thankful for it for, for everybody and not so much for you. Make this for you as if God is speaking specifically, personally to you. Okay? With your name on the palms of his hands. He takes great delight in you. He knows all about you. He knows the weaknesses, the failures, the mistakes, but that doesn't change his heart for you or his love for you. So what do you say, folks? What do you say? That perhaps it's time to draw close to him and in that process start listening to the song that he is singing over you. For you are, after all, forevermore in every way God's unforgettable Amen Father we come before you and we, we have been given such a great reminder tonight that in those times when we maybe start listening to our flesh or start listening to the enemy and begin to be swayed by the lies that, that are telling us he's forgotten all about you you're being ignored you are forsaken he doesn't love you he's not for you may we come back to what we know is true may we come back to God's word may we come back to places like what we've been in tonight Isaiah chapter 49 where God makes an amazing declaration of his love for us. We sang about it earlier tonight as your love lamp ran red on the cross. That forever shuts the case 
and proves the point that you are for us, that you have not forsaken us, that you will never, ever forget us. And so, God, we have been reminded here, we have seen what your mission has been, having been sent by the Father. And now it comes to us. Our responsibility becomes one of submission to being fully devoted, committed, and surrendered to you. Experiencing the victory that we have in you and because of what you have accomplished on the cross. Not so that we can continue on stumbling, not experiencing peace or joy or your power, but so that we would know firsthand your victory, your peace, your hope, your joy. Those are ours to claim, to embrace, and to live as those who are in Christ Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.